My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning, my sermon title is called Justice in the Day of the Lord, and I'll be touching on all three texts this morning from Amos, from 1 Thessalonians, and from Matthew 25. So we start off, what do these three texts have in common? Well, the text from the book of Amos details God's rejection of the feasts and solemn assemblies and the burnt offerings and the grain offerings and the music offered to him by Israel. And some have taken verses like this to mean that the feasts of the church and the worship of the church are just man-made products of tradition that can be discarded whenever we need to because they don't really matter because it's all external nonsense anyway. But this is not the point of the text. And then also, the last verse in the reading, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, is also a little bit misunderstood and misapplied as well. And to be honest with you, brothers and sisters, this verse, let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, sometimes you hear it so much that it gets almost burdensome to hear. Sometimes when I hear this verse, my reaction is sort of like God's reaction to Israel's worship. Please, just stop. Not because that I don't believe in justice and I don't believe in righteousness increasing, but because generally what gets passed off as justice by our culture is not in fact justice. In fact, if you want to take any issue and then make it of you know, ultimate importance, nowadays we just add justice to it. You know, for example, internet access. Some people have it, some people don't. Is people not having it a justice issue? I don't think, I don't think so. Might be unfair, might need to improve access, but that doesn't make it a justice issue. Also, the ever-increasing splintering of self-identities and sexualities is also not justice. And what justice work often misses is that justice in the scripture is tied in with what is called the day of the Lord. Justice is ultimately his. And part of the purpose of this text is God's saying, right? You have forsaken my justice. And so God is telling them here in Amos what Jesus says elsewhere in the Gospels where he says, you know, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I can't remember when this was, but I was doing something somewhere and I heard someone make a comment or in a prayer that we are, we are building God's kingdom. That's our job is to build God's kingdom. I think the problem with a phrase like that is we're building the kingdom of God is that the action is upon us. The responsibility is on us to build his kingdom. I prefer what the Anglican theologian N.T. Wright noted when he said that we are building for the kingdom, but we are not building the kingdom. You see, God is building his kingdom, not us. Now, he uses us to do work, but ultimately, God is the one who builds. And we will work to see its fruition. 
But oftentimes what we may build might have to be torn down. And justice is much the same. We can work with God for justice, but we ourselves will never establish justice in full. No matter how hard we try, we will never do it. That doesn't mean we don't work for justice, but we have to know what it is, and then how can we properly do that? But God's act of bringing justice ultimately is his. And we see this as expressed in the phrase, the day of the Lord. And he says something interesting here. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? So then we ask ourselves, what then is the day of the Lord? Well, the day of the Lord is simply when God comes to establish justice in the earth. Not just in the earth, but the whole of creation. If the day of the Lord is God coming to then establish justice, then what's with the dark imagery? Why does it sound not so great? Well, let me ask you a question, right? Many of you have had kids already. Some of you do have kids now. So maybe this illustration might be a little appropriate. So say you have two kids fighting in the back seat. Actually, let me personalize this a little bit. <laughs> so one day, I was riding in the back of the car with my, my sister, and I was bothering her basically for no reason, because that's what brothers do sometimes. And my dad had this wonderful way of disciplining. You know, he would never yell, uh, but all he would do, he, was, he would warn us, and he's like, you better stop, or else you're gonna get in trouble. You're gonna get a spanking if you don't listen. And, we would, and for some reason that day, I was like, whatever, I don't care. And I'm still bothering my sister. So he turned around and he goes, that's one. And I was like, oh no. Because I knew when he said it's one, when we got home, I would have to go march into my room and I have to sit at the end of my bed and I would wait. And then he would come in and he, we had a paddle. That, I'm a little kid, right? So in my mind it was this big. <laughs> but it's probably more like this big, right? And then I would get a spanking, and he would just give me one and go over the reasons why he did it. It was all very kind and loving, right? So for me, that drive home is an ever-increasing sense of, of dread and an ever-increasing sense of what? Fear. Because I know <laughs> what's coming when I get home. Now my sister, on the other hand, what do you think the feeling was in her heart on the way home? Yes! <laughs> if she listens to this, yes, it probably was, right? My brother was bothering me, my dad stepped in, and Michael's going to get in trouble when we get home. My wife says I'm the favorite child. That's not true. That is not true. But, <laughs> my, my, imagine that right on the way home, the more dread I'm feeling, the more joy she must be feeling that when we get home, Dad is going to do what he said. That dad is going to establish justice. Dad is going to reorder what has become disordered. And that is what God's justice is, is the reordering of what is disordered. And the problem comes in our society is when we focus on what is disordered in us, what sin has disordered in us, and say that that disorder is authentic, and so the work of justice is to advocate and exalt and even allow for what is disordered within us. 
So for those like me, God's coming to establish justice is an increasing sense of darkness and fear and dread. And for others, it will be a time of joy. And the injunction here is like, maybe we shouldn't say, I can't wait for the day of the Lord or I can't wait that the day of the Lord will be here. Because when that happens, the time for repentance is over. When the Lord comes, all repentance is done. The time that he's allotted for repentance and salvation is over. And God wants all to be saved, the scripture tells us, and come to the knowledge of the truth. Now let's look at this in the light of 1 Thessalonians, the day of the Lord described. Now that we've heard about the day of the Lord in the Old Testament, we see how the writers of the New Testament understood it and how it applies to Christ. And so the selection from 1 Thessalonians is one that's also been widely misunderstood, particularly around the idea of what is called the rapture. And this idea is, uh, uh, it's this theology where the true Christians will sort of be taken up into heaven secretly, um, and this passage that we heard read from 1 Thessalonians is sort of the proof text for that. But the concept of the rapture is a flawed one, and it's not actually something that Scripture teaches. Look at the primary action in this text. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, or with a shout. Right? So the action is the descent of the Lord. The Lord coming down on the clouds, right? Which is also how the apostles saw him depart. Remember that? And at the, at the beginning of the book of Acts, where, where St. Luke is recounting this, it says that Jesus ascended, and it says a cloud took him out of their sight. So when we see the day of the Lord described in 1 Thessalonians, he's also returning in a cloud. And St. Paul is describing here the day of the Lord, essentially, I guess, in, maybe in a shorthand way, right? Jesus is descending, and in response to his command, it says the dead are raised, and those who are above, uh, those who are alive, excuse me, and remain, will also be called up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, does this mean that we are going to float around in the sky forever? Well, no, because it's from there that the new Jerusalem descends. Earth is, is, is renewed and restored, and that God's final act of justice and judgment will be completed. St. John Chrysostom says, If he is about to descend, on one account shall we be caught up? For the sake of honor. For when a king drives into a city, those who are in honor go out to meet him. But the condemned await the judge within. And upon the coming of an affectionate father, his children indeed, and those who are worthy to be his children, are taken out in a chariot that they may see and kiss him. But those who have offended will remain within. We are carried upon the chariot of our father. Do you see how great is the honor? As he descends, we go forth to meet him. And what is more blessed than all, so we shall be with him. And this, brothers and sisters, is when all tears are wiped away, where all wickedness in the world is judged, and justice is finally established. Because, as I said, justice in the scriptures is bringing back into order that which has been disordered by sin and death and human rebellion. Let's talk about Jesus' parable from the gospel according to St. Matthew. The preparation for the day of the Lord. So we've spoken about the day of the Lord and justice. We've spoken about the day of the Lord described. And now we will talk about the preparation for the day of the Lord. And Jesus tells a parable here about the day of the Lord. Emphasizing the need for preparation. 
The image he uses is that of a wedding feast. A wedding feast. And St. John uses the imagery of a wedding feast as well in the final chapters of Revelation with the descent of the new Jerusalem to the earth and the marriage of Christ the bridegroom to his church, the bride. And so in this parable, there are ten virgins with candles, right? The virgins in this, in this tale are sort of like the bridesmaids, right? And the bridegroom arrives later than they expect, so they fall asleep. But unexpectedly at midnight, it says a cry is raised that the bridegroom is coming, and that they have to swiftly wake up. He's coming. They don't know when, but they have a shout going out to tell them he's on the way. Wake up. I think the first problem here is that they're sleeping. Anyway, but let's move on. However, it's not all losses as five of them brought extra oil because their candles have gone out. And so the five that brought extra oil are able to use it for the bridal party, but the other five don't have enough. And the first five don't have enough to cover for them. So the five who were not prepared, the five who were not ready, whom the text calls foolish, they go to try and find some, and by the time they get to the wedding feast, the bridegroom and the five wise virgins have already entered in. And the, jo the door has been shut, and they are not let in. And they bang on the door, Lord, let us in. And the chilling response, I don't know you. The cry taken up that the bridegroom is coming is the same cry as St. Paul referenced in 1 Thessalonians. The Lord descending with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Right? Jesus, it's not just Jesus' cry of command which raises the dead. The archangels are getting into it by shouting in the sound of the trumpet of God. Like this cacophony of voices. This is why Jesus says, right, watch therefore in this parable. Watch therefore. In other words, when the bridegroom comes, me, be ready. Now, we have to understand this has an immediate application to his hearers right here in this text. Because the prophets have been calling and crying out for centuries at this point. Right? All the parts of the Bible that we kind of skip through to get to the New Testament, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Well, we like Daniel in the lines, then. But the latter part of Daniel, we're like, it's too weird. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. All of these prophets is the cry God saying, the bridegroom is coming, be ready. The bridegroom is coming, be ready. And when Jesus arrives, are they ready for him? No, <laughs> they are not ready. Some are and they receive him, but many do not. From Isaiah all the way up to St. John the Baptist, they're crying out that the bridegroom is coming and now he is here. Jesus is the bridegroom who has come to redeem his people. And those who have made ready will receive him and following him into the wedding feast. And this is the day of the Lord in part. The future application of this is the full culmination of the day of the Lord. The fullness of the coming of the day of the Lord at the end of time when Christ the bridegroom returns with the host of heaven as described in 1 Thessalonians and in Revelation 20. And this is when God's justice will truly be realized in the earth, as described in Revelation 21, 1 through 4. St. John writes this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throat saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. So brothers and sisters, we like the five virgins need to be wise. We will never be able to ascertain the nearness of the Lord's coming. Nor can we guess as to when it is. And when we look at the world, we may be tempted to cry out for Christ's return. There's something that I hope you notice in the news cycle, brothers and sisters. Is that every time... There is trouble, particularly in the Middle East. You will always see the rise of a particular militant strand of Christianity that uses every occurrence in the Middle East, every act of violence as, this is it. Jesus is about to come back right now. We're at the very, very, very edge at the end of time. Here's the thing. We don't know. We don't know. And I think it's a mistake to continually look back at to what's going on, particularly there, to try to determine the return of the Lord. And even though the Lord says you will not know the hour or the day, there are still many Christians that try to do so. Prophecy conferences and prophecy experts, right? I used to, be, I know this stuff. I used to move and groove in, in the world that did that sort of thing. And you know what? Almost all of them were wrong. Almost all of them were wrong. We have to be ready, but we also have to be wary. We should just not follow every wind of doctrine. We need to be stable. And we have to be careful and use our best judgments. And when we look at the world, we may be tempted to cry out to, for Christ's return. And here's the thing, as Christians, I think we can if we heed the warnings that we heard in Amos. The church has a phrase from the earliest time in the church that speaks to this, and that phrase is Maranatha. And Maranatha means, come, O Lord, or come, Lord, or our Lord will come. And it's part of a prayer. It's something we, the church can pray as Christ's body. And so as we, the church, pray Maranatha, let us prepare our hearts for the cry that the bridegroom is on his way. And in a real sense, every worship service of the church is a voice crying out in the wilderness to the nearness of our Lord's return. And so, with all of that in mind, day of the Lord... We prepare our actions first. We'll talk about this for just a moment. What is our action as a church? What do we do? How do we, even though God will establish perfect justice in the earth, how do we come alongside of his work of building and build for his work? Well, part of the way we do that is by doing things like the food bank. 
all of this food, this, this food was taken a little bit early because uh, Ed won't be here next week to deliver it, but this last week was full. And God bless all of you who purchased food and left it here for those in need. This, it's been an especially hard few years, particularly with inflation. The cost of everything is going up. Thank God for your generosity. That is working. That is, that is God's work of justice. Giving clothes to people who don't have any. That is God's work of justice. Right? God's work of justice. Feeding somebody who has no food. That's God's work of justice. Standing up for people who can't stand up for themselves. That's God's work of justice. So we prepare for the day of the Lord by doing what Christ told us to do. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Visit those who are in the hospitals. Right? Those who are in need. Provide in very real ways for the needs of people. This just popped into my head. This isn't in my notes at all. But one of the things that the early church was known for, known for, was for the way that they treated those who were not Christians. Particularly children and babies. So in the ancient world, Roman world, if there was a child that was not wanted, a baby that was not wanted, what do you think that they would do with it? They would take it outside the city and they just lay the baby down and walk back inside. Just leave it for whatever. What did the Christians do? They went out, outside the city, and all of the babies that, and children that were abandoned they took them in and provided for them and cared for them and raised them. Our culture, we're told that the Christian work of justice is supporting people who are destroying babies in utero. That's a marked difference from <laughs> the Christians of the early church, what they were known for. And destroying babies in utero was also common in the ancient world. There were ways to do it. People did it all the time. Obviously not as safe medically as our technology has made it, but it was a feature of the ancient world. And the Christians were known for doing work. Christians were known for establishing hospitals. St. Basil of Caesarea, right, one of the most important theologians of, the, of, of uh, I think, the mid-300s, right? He's called one of the Cappadocian fathers. His book on, his treatise on the Holy Spirit, dealing with protecting the idea that the Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father and the Son. He's not just there penning works like this, talking about the Holy Spirit in abstract ways. He's also founding hospitals to care for the sick. What we believe has practical application in this world. That's God's act of justice. And we prepare ourselves by doing that. And then the second way we prepare our hearts is we prepare our hearts through worship. Worship of Christ. We come here to the church and we partake of the sacraments where I have a baptism I believe next week previous week we just had we came before the Lord's table and altar right and we're moving into Advent and then we're going to be moving into Christmas and it's the time of our the preparation of our hearts for 
our celebration of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world. And so we prepare our hearts to worship, not just here at church, but also the worship we offer him in our private lives, in our homes, in our devotions. And all of this works together, brothers and sisters. All of this works together. So let us, like the early church, let us pray, Maranatha. But let us do so in a spirit of love and service, as exemplified by our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom is due all glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion Stone Church. I'm Reverend Mike Lansman, and I'd like to extend to you an invitation, if you're ever in our area, to please worship with us Sunday mornings at 1015. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or would like some information about the church, or just have some questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page or via email. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.